Well, that is kind. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I have been away a little for a little bit, kind of on an extended vacation. It's awesome to be back. I was talking to a guy Friday night. His name is Chris. Kind of new around here. Jesus just blowing up his life in just these really cool ways. And he's like, yeah, man, so this is happening and that's happening. And Jesus is doing this. And I just can't get enough of it. And I'm like going and picking my friends up. And I'm bringing them here every Sunday and the whole thing. And then he looks at me and goes, I'm sorry, what was your name? <laughs> this is awesome. I just love that. So I'm Dan, by the way. And it's great to be here. And it's great to be at the very cusp of finishing this New Testament letter called Ephesians. Two Easter's ago, we uh, cracked open that book, and we've been in a Bible crawl ever since. And two weeks from now, we're going to kind of bring it to its completion. And the good news is, man, we can just, we could be in this book, Ephesians, forever. There's so much richness, so much depth. As the Apostle Paul's talking to the church, and he's like, here's who you are. Here's how I've brought the most disparate people together. Here's what I've called you to do. Here's how I'm going to call you to live differently in an upside down way as the rest of the culture around you. And then he brings it to this kind of culminating place. And this is where our suit up series finds itself in Paul calling us to this place where he says, look, it won't be easy this life of yours this life as a church, this life for you individually. There's physical stuff that we're up against, and there's spiritual things that you can't see. And he kind of brings this sobering reality, just going like, look, there is an enemy that's trying to thwart all of God's deep heart and purposes through you, in you, around you, and I just want you to be aware. I want you to be alert and as Paul's, I'm just kind of imagining, many scholars believe he's in prison writing this letter. And as he's trying to think, how do I communicate to, to my friends that this thing called spiritual resistance, sometimes we call it spiritual warfare, it's like real, though in, invisible, how do I communicate that? Well, some scholars actually believe that he was chained to a Roman guard. So I just kind of imagine Paul, whether he's chained to or just can see the dude posted at his, at his prison door, just kind of going, oh, yeah, like we're in this battle and we need to gird up, we need to stand firm and we need certain pieces of armor and equipment. And, and in fact, he's like, this would really make sense to everybody. Why? Because they saw Roman guards everywhere. Roman guards were ubiquitous. You saw them walking down the roads. You saw them posted at the tower. You saw them everywhere. Everybody was familiar with it. He wouldn't use that today, by the way. We're not a militarized zone, thank goodness, right? He'd probably use football gear uh, for our analogy. He'd probably be talking shoulder pads, mouth guards, and the like. But he knew he wanted to make this so real, so personal, that he started assembling the armor of a Roman guard. But here's the deepest reason why I think, why he think he did this. I think he's wanting to communicate something really important. I think he chose a Roman guard because the Romans never lost. Like in that day and age, it was unfathomable that, that a Roman guard, that the Roman army would lose it all. It wasn't until centuries later that the Visigoths came and, you know, sacked Rome and all that. But like for all intents and purposes, Paul's sitting back here and going, how do I communicate that this is a battle, but Jesus has won the war? How do I communicate that this is real? There are physical, invisible, there are invisible things. They collide together that impact your life, impact us geopolitically, impact us everything in between. How do I communicate? Communicate, though, that nothing is up for grabs, that the outcome here is not uncertain, 
as Paul goes on to write in a different place, that we as followers of Jesus, we are more than conquerors. Why? Because of the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ultimate return of Jesus who will literally and physically come and make all things new. That framed in the whole picture for Paul. And he goes, I know I'll use the greatest picture of strength and triumph known to man, known to the history of humankind, a Roman soldier, to say you've chosen the right team. This is real, it's a battle, but we shall not fear. We won't put our hands to the plow and look back. No, actually, we're gonna stand firm. And it's with that kind of maybe backdrop that I want us to just take the sweeping nature of this whole little passage where Paul begins with the word finally. He's at the end of his letter. He's wrapping up, but really, I think he's crescendoing to the salvo where he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Can you just imagine him? Picture him in jail. He's like studying the soldier that maybe he's connected to and so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. See how Paul's just like blowing this up. Like this is bigger than our little lives. It includes our lives, but it's so much bigger. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Anybody hear any Tom Petty in that? Just curious. That's where it came from. Just kidding. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You know what's really cool for me is that this is the first passage um, that I ever taught from as a communicator. Happened in between my, my sophomore and junior year in high school. I just remember I was just reading the scriptures unlike ever before. I had my little journal, I was just writing note after note, and, and really, like, unlike ever since, it was just like one of those warp speed moments in my spiritual journey where I remember I, I went to um, my girlfriend at the time who, had, you know, compared, she just pales in comparison to my bride. I just want to say that because she's sitting right there. Um, but her name was Robin. And I said, I have this weird kind of feeling that God's preparing me to speak. Because what was happening is as I was like writing these little journal notes down from the scriptures, I began to look back over those notes and realize I wasn't just writing these down for me, I was writing these down for others. It was just a really weird way. Like, my brain just began to naturally go, how would I communicate this to my friend who doesn't know Jesus? How would I communicate to this as this so-and-so and such-and-such? And, such? and what was happening in me in, the, in that moment, though I didn't realize it, was God was just bringing the early rumbles of my calling, my passion, to be a communicator to just tell the story of God and offer his deep heart to people. It was 30 years ago. And it was wild because 
I had no invitations to speak. I mean, who would ask a sophomore, junior, a 16-year-old kid who just got his driver's license to, to give a sermon? Like, nobody, right? You're supposed to go to seminary and do all those things. Like, none of it made sense. But I really appreciated Robin's response. She just simply said, we should pray about this. Well, later that summer, I went to a summer camp called Forest Home up in the San Bernardino Mountains of California, and it was my best friend. He had just given his life to Jesus. His name was Shane Loger. And during the middle of our week together, he said, you know what? What if we just got our other friends who, who love Jesus together and we just prayed for the first day of school at my house? He lived right across the street from our high school. I said, sure, let's do that. And it was there that I taught from Ephesians 6. And just kind of an interesting moment for me to mark now 30 years of communicating and realizing that actually these scriptures written by God, this Bible has so many layers and so many beautiful textures to it that even though I've been familiar with this passage, studied it a bunch, there's so much more for me to gain and to learn. I want to offer you just a little bit new um, kind of ways I'm being stretched and understanding this passage. We've been piecing together in this series all the different like, pieces of armor of the soldier, and we come to really the last piece. Interestingly, it's the only offensive piece for the Roman guard. Everything else is defense, shield, helmet, and, and the like, with maybe exception to the, to the uh, feet being fitted with the gospel of peace. But here we look at, take the helmet of salvation and then this turn, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What do you think Paul's talking about there? Sword of the Spirit, he says, which is the Word of God. What is he talking about? Does this feel like a trick question? Yeah, no one's like, I, I think it's Bible, but I don't want to say out loud. Um, so it's Bible. And all the different ways that the Lord speaks. I, I think in my culture growing up, I just always thought it means the Bible. That's the Word of God. We, we kind of throw that around. The Word of God is, is the Bible. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you did a thing maybe called sword drills. Anybody? Anybody do sword drills? Yeah? Yeah, that's where the Sunday school teacher would say, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, 13, and all the kids go, shh, shh, and the first one that gets there is the most spiritual and wins. <laughs> that's a sword drill. And that's the Word of God. And, and it is. It's God's written down heart for the ages. And we believe it's infallible, which means without error, and all that God intends to speak in matters of faith and practice. But it is also all the ways that God, by His Spirit, remember this is the sword of the Spirit, all the ways that God would love to speak to you and to me. Why, why do you think it's called a sword? Why would that be the offensive weapon, really, the only picture we have of a soldier on offense? Well, as I thought about it, I thought... I think it's because if we're talking about the voice of God and all the ways that he wants to speak, we need a sword to cut through all the noise in our life. You have noise in your life? Do we live in a noisy world? We need something sharp, piercing, to cut through all the noise going on interpersonally, internally, externally, communally, nationally, globally. There is so much noise. And I believe it's the deep heart of our Father who wants to cut through the noise and offer you His voice in all the ways He wants to give it to you. 
Sometimes he speaks through creation, through the splendor of all that he's designed. Sometimes it's through the confidence of a friend, the communication that happens within community. Sometimes it happens in a whisper or in a nudge or in a prompting that makes you go, I don't know if that was from God or if I ate a funky taco last night. I can't, I'm not sure, but something about that seems unique. I'm going to pay attention to it. Sometimes, in appropriate ways, it can come through leadership. It certainly all must be run through the Scriptures, what God has written down for the ages. But He speaks to us through a myriad of different ways. Our own circumstances, the experiences of our lives that God has formed and shaped into wisdom, He speaks through it all. It, it, here's a comparison. I was just kind of thinking about like, well, wh- where is there a lot of noise, metaphorically speaking and literally? Um, Arrowhead. It's one of the loudest, like, coliseums of sorts, right? In, I mean, they, didn't we win like the, the loud meter or whatever? Aren't we the loudest stadium in, in the NFL? About to get louder, people. About to get louder, right? I was kind of thinking, so in football, you know, if God's the coach, how does the coach get his deep heart and his great intentions for the team onto the field? Well, you start with a playbook, right? If you don't have a playbook, you're just going to get out there, you're just going to get slayed if you don't have a playbook. And so players sit in meetings, you know, they're supposed to master and memorize this massive kind of playbook. Well, it's one thing to have a playbook, but how do you get in the field? Well, you need to have a game plan, right? And so this is why the quarterback oftentimes will carry this like big old wristband and it has this flap. You just open it up and there's a bunch of the different plays. You'll see also the coach on the sideline talking behind this laminated multicolored sheet. Well, that's all the plays from the playbook. Now, how do you get them on the field? Well, the old school way is you just send out a substitute into the huddle. He's got the play and you just hope he remembers it correctly. All right. And then we've seen uh, in kind of recent years uh, where on the sideline, uh, various coaches or like reserve quarterbacks, whatever, they'll hold up signs, random signs. Have you, have you seen this before? I think the Oregon Ducks started doing this. Uh, here, here's a picture of it. <laughs> like, okay, so you're supposed to decipher what does a groundhog, Bill Murray from Caddyshack, a mascot, and Lee Corso, like what does that have to do with the play we're supposed to run? Well, I, I actually learned after the service from a former football coach that that was all decoy. And that somebody was actually sending hand signals, but it was distracting everyone from there. But one way or another, you're giving signs. And we know that in our life, there's the scripture, that's the playbook. Sometimes there's our friends, that's the community. They come out and we form a huddle. We turn our backs to the noise just to hear what's the play, right? And then sometimes there's circumstances and signs that we just go, God, is that you? Or is that the the, the weird thing I ate last night? I'm going to try and discern. Sometimes the leader of the QB calls an audible. Omaha. <laughs> Peyton Manning, right? Probably not the right thing to reference here. <laughs> but by having mastered the playbook, by knowing the game plan, in the dynamic ways of reading what's going on and discerning what's needed right here in this moment. See, when Paul calls the sword of the Spirit, all these things are amplified by the dynamic nature of the Holy Spirit prompting and nudging. And there's one more picture of how the coach gets his heart onto the field. It's the headset. It's the headset, right? 
So in the NFL, there's like, there's speakers in the quarterback's ear. Sometimes you'll see a quarterback going, like, I can't hear, I can't hear, or the crowd's so loud that he's like pressing to hear his coach's voice so that he can know what play to run. That you might, you might say is the, the promptings, the whispers, the nudges that are just kind of direct, all of which align to the playbook. Now, how does spiritual warfare and resistance work in this picture? Well, if you're playing not at Arrowhead, but you're at Heinz Field or wherever, what are the opposing players doing at, when it's third down and long and you've got the ball? They're doing this, right? They're amping up the crowd noise, right? And the crowd's just getting, they know that they're the 12th man on the field. There's all this noise surrounding and all of a sudden QB can't hear what, what's going on. And then there's interference in the headsets. Some coaches have talked about uh, they heard a pizza delivery guy in his, in his headset, air traffic control. And if you ever play at Gillette Stadium where the Patriots called home, just however, in, uh, you know, uh, however it seems to happen, the opposing players at Gillette Stadium don't have working headsets all too often. That might be the enemy doing his direct route. Sabotage, interference trying to steal from you and me the ability to hear from our coach, his deep heart, the play he's wanting you to play in your life. And I just want to return you back to this question. What's the noise right now in your life and in your world? It could be the noise of work. It's loud. It could be the noise in your marriage. It's painful. It could be the noise of a tragedy or a diagnosis. It could be the noise of a friendship or relationship that is, that is on the rocks right now and you just have an argument going on in your head right now. It could be the noise of all the swirl in this amphitheater called life. So I want to just call you and me back to just ask simply, what's your playbook? Really, what's your playbook? Now some of us, we, we've never read the Bible, never cracked the Bible, and I would just offer to you, I couldn't imagine living my life, navigating the things that you and I as human beings navigate without the playbook that guides me. I can't imagine it, oh my goodness. Others of us, we know the playbook should be the Bible. But if we're honest and do an assessment of our time, we're studying a bunch of other things. Whether it's our news feeds, our cable news, whether it's our podcasts, whatever it might be. It could even be a great Christian book. But are we really basing our life on the playbook? Secondly, who's in your huddle? Now, hear me, I'm not saying uh, don't have any friends with those who don't love Jesus, quite the opposite. But in terms of who's bringing the play to you, who's setting the priority for when we break huddle and we go out, who has the most influence over you? Are they people who are speaking life over you, speaking blessing, breathing the air of the kingdom that you want to be breathing, inhaling, exhaling? Are these the type of people that are walking in the direction you want to walk when you break huddle? And then thirdly, what's in your headset? 
What are you tuning your, your ear to? One thing just for me, I, I, I just realized I'm just in a season where I'm hungering for more of God, and, and uh, I've got this favorite podcast of mine. There's nothing wrong with it, by the way. It's, it's awesome. But I just feel like God's saying, hey, that's, that's just too much in your headset. So I'm just doing without my little favorite podcast because I'm making room for more because I want to hear from the voice of my coach in a new way, in a unique way, in the season that we're in. And so Paul's saying, look, here's your offensive weapon. I want us, he says to us as a church, I want us to have the sword of the spirit so that we can cut through the noise so that we can hear from our Father in heaven. And then the very next line he says, and pray, he says, and pray. And this has been one of those things I've kind of seen in a whole new light. I've always interpreted this whole long passage as here's all the assembly of armaments, you know, that you wear, you wear this, and you put this on, and this represents that, and boom, 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 and then there's prayer. Like, it's just kind of like a tack on, it's, it's maybe a part of the whole thing. I'm seeing it differently now. I'm seeing it as the point. I'm seeing prayer as the crescendoing point where Paul has now dressed the soldier in full armor, and his marching orders are what? To pray. That's his marching orders. I mean, you imagine a guy, he's got the helmet, he's, he's feeling his own breath back in his face because the helmet's over, and he's just like, he's guarded, and he's like, okay, what's the order, you know? And it's like, to pray. What? Well, it leads to things. That's why I love our arrows fair out there. Like, like the battle is, we're going to pray. I love that Paul is leaving the church. His, his salvo message to the church ends with a call to prayer. A whole third of this long passage was dedicated to prayer. I think Paul is saying, you put this on, put this on, put this on, put this on, so that you can pray. And my confession to you is I've not um, always loved to pray. If I'm fully honest with you, like, I, 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 it's really important theologically. I totally get it, and I pray probably more than I'm going to sound like I do in this moment. But prayer for me was always a duty. Um, it was always something that I should do, but also felt like a waste of time all at the same time. And, um, and then I heard somebody say, well, prayer is like just climbing up into your daddy's lap. And I didn't like that image at all. That just felt really wimpy to me. So I was like, I'm, I, I can't. I'm not going to live in that space. But a new image came to me. It was of a time when I was about in grade school. And uh, my dad would come home from work. He'd be in his coat and his tie and his briefcase after a long day. And my dad uh, has never been a big sportsman. But because I love baseball, he'd play catch with me. And I'd wait for my dad to come walk down our long driveway to enter into our back door, and I'd have my glove, my ball, and we got, we got he didn't have a glove, but we got him a glove. And I had him I'm stacked right by the door, and the minute I'd see his head coming in the, down the driveway through the window, I'd pop out the door, and I'd greet him, and I'd shut the door behind me. Why? Because I didn't want my mom to hear that he got home, because my mom heard she'd have things she would want him to do. But I just wanted dad all to myself. I'm like, come on, dad, let's go play catch. Now, as a dad myself, when I get home, I've got things to do. I at least want to put my stuff down. My head is still full. I'm still, three quarters of my brain is still at church and all those things. And so now it's just, it's so much clear how loving it was of my dad 
to not even loosen his tie, but to take the glove I was shoving into his hand. We'd go out in the front yard and we'd just play catch for hours. I just love catch, by the way. It's just, you know, you just, you just throw it and you release it and you throw it and you release it. And this give and this take. And we did, I mean, I could just do it for hours. And, you know, 30 minutes go by, 45 minutes would go by, and my dad at some point, you know, it's dinner time and everything else, he'd start looking at his watch. So I started taking his watch away. <laughs> I literally, I'm like, Dad, here's your glove, here's mine, give me your watch. Because time would stand still. It was with my dad. It was with my dad. And part of this I Am course that we're doing both Sunday morning and then uh, Tuesday nights helps you identify like what you were made for, who you are, who you are, all, all those things. And I've gone through an iteration of that. And it's led to a three-year vision for my life. And that vision is simply this. I want to walk with God like a game of catch. I want to walk with God like a game of catch. To experience that intimacy, for time to stand still, for him to take me into deeper and different places where prayer isn't this obligatory thing, where it's a conversation, where there's a connection, a new reliance upon the Holy Spirit. All of these things has been this new hunger for me. I want to walk with him like a game of catch. I want it to be the crescendo of my life. So I came back from this vacation, and you guys, I felt so full. I felt so like, like vibrant, close to the Lord, connected with Elise and, and my girls, rested, like really feeling tender, alive, and I felt empty. It was the oddest experience. I felt empty, in particular, around teaching and speaking. Now, that'd make a lot of sense if I were just in a, you know, we all go through, through seasons of dryness, if, if I was just in a desert season, or if I felt like God wasn't throwing me a bone, and like, we all go through that, and I've been through that, and so have you, I would imagine. It, but that's like not this. Like, I'm feeling close to the Lord. I feel like every time I open the scriptures, it's like there's something there. And for the first time in 30 years since that morning at Shane Loger's house, when I first got to taste that sweet, sweet joy of sharing God's deep heart from the scriptures, I didn't have desire. I didn't have passion. I didn't have creative energy to teach. And it didn't freak me out. In fact, it kind of had this like, yeah, I felt like upside down, but I also felt like peacefully so. And by the way, I'm not leaving Harlan. Can I just interject that at this moment? Okay. Um, but I didn't know what to do with that. It created this curiosity. What are you, what are you doing, God? So I, I went to Tom Bronner first. He's an associate pastor here, my spiritual director. And uh, I just... I said, well, you know, my first Sunday back, it was August 4th, just came back, can I meet with you early? And I just said, this is what I'm feeling, and I have this crazy sense that maybe Jesus is calling me away from the stage for a while, meaning from speaking and teaching for a while. It just feels crazy, Tom. And he just sat there and he's like, okay, well, let's remove the word crazy, was his first response, and let's just say it's an idea. 
And then the next three days, Tom and I joined Craig Cheney, our executive pastor, Jay Cole, our leadership development kind of activation pastor. And the four of us for three days just kind of went before the Lord and said, what is this? What are you up to here, God? And you guys, I just, I got to tell you, I've never felt more loved. I've never felt more honored. I've never felt more grateful just to have these men. You should just be so proud of your leadership. This would be true as I've been communicating this with elders and staff. They just came around me. We listened together. We prayed together. We laughed together. We, you know, we did it all. And, we, and there was this sense of there's something real here, and it's from Jesus, something right here. And in fact, we want to be radical about it. Like, we don't want to just be incremental or conventional. We want to be radical, and Dan, we want to be ruthless. That was the sense I had from them. We want to be ruthless to whatever Jesus is doing in your life. We want to come around you in this, trusting that this is not just for you. It's for all of us. And so as I began to live with it more and more, I at first was like, I think I just need to go another series um, or another month or two, and was kind of in my mind thinking November 1, but they actually came back, and we collectively really discerned. They just said, Dan, here's the deal. If you come back and teach on November 1st, you're going to just start cranking it up a few weeks from now. And will that really be the space that God wants to offer you? Will that really be the game of catch that you're, you're desiring and so hungry for and that the Lord is hungry for with you? And so we decided that I am going to, that Jesus really is calling me from the stage through the end of this year, that I won't be teaching, speaking, hosting. Um, and in fact, they're just like, and we want to be ruthless about lowering your organizational workload, cutting out appointments, supervisory stuff, and anywhere there might be a stage. I mean, essentially, all with one exception, to, to not teach on any platform in this building or outside of this building. Because there's this sense that Jesus wants to take me to a place that my normal rhythm and the mechanism of teaching just currently can't allow for and can't contain. I mean, the truth is, as much as I've just tried my best to be faithful about boundaries, margins, times away, study leaves, all those things, sabbaticals, 15 years, I mean, it'll catch up to you. 30 years, really, in terms of a life call that I've been doing this. And for as much as I've grown as a communicator, meaning like I'm communicating these things, like it draws me closer to Jesus, but in another way, I think it keeps Jesus and I at a distance from one another because everything becomes kind of mercenary for me. Like all input from God must lead to this output called the sermon. And I just have this sense that he's calling me to say, your identity is deeper than that. This isn't about your performance, your productivity, all these things that you maybe, Dan, hinge your life and your worth upon. I want to take you to a deeper place. Actually, as an image, have you, um, have you, did, you, did you see last year watching Chiefs games, did you see how when Patrick Mahomes would come off the field, oftentimes the coach, Andy Reid, would go sit down on the bench with him? They'd just be side by side. Anybody? You seen that picture? 
Yeah, like I've just, I've so been captivated by that. You know, it's like I've never seen a coach do that just to go sit with his player. Here's a picture, just there's plenty of them out there, but he would just go sit down and just kind of be together. You know, that's like a picture for me. Actually, I just want to say a couple things. One, Andy Reid is not God, right? (laughs) Um, I am not Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is not God. I think we really need that reminder. Uh, I'm not being benched, by the way. This is, this is not like imposed. There's no crisis. I'm not leaving Heartland. This is not some sneaky exit strategy. There is none of that. I know it's even hard to process outside of some crisis or scandal or something that something like this could be real and true. I just would ask that you trust that it is. I'm not injured, though I'm really messed up, but you know what I mean? Like, we're just all in this together, but there's not like any major, like, I just feel like this picture of I've got all my, you know, battle gear on, and I'm like, what's the play? What's the play? What's the play? I can't hear. I can't hear. And I just keep hearing him say, I just want you to come sit with me. Just come sit with me. Just come Let's just, I'll sit with you. You just sit with me. That's the picture. That's the invitation. That's the tenderness that all of this feels for me. And, I, and I'll confess, I, I have this, um, you know, I have this like inner critic in my head sometimes. Michelle talked about that last week, you know, and it, and it sounds like this. Well, you just got to buck up, little camper. You know, put your big boy pants on. This is called the J-O-B. Like, this is what you get paid to do. You give sermons, you know? Some of you might be out here going, well, wouldn't that be nice? Like, you might be a firefighter. It's like, you know, some days I just don't prefer not to fight fires. Like, I get that. I get that. I would just say in response, like, I can't defend it or really even explain it but I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful that we have the kind of leadership, we have the kind of church, that who, who we are to be and to receive this kind of permission to be with Jesus in this way. And it has all the rightness and all the wonkiness to this thing. Um, I, I was driving by a Waldo and I saw this picture. I just got to show it to you because it's my theme picture for, uh, for this season. <laughs> if you're listening by podcast, it's a pedestrian sign of a walker, yellow sign. Put the dudes upside down. And that's how I feel. But I also feel like this is how God does his best work. Isn't that true in your life? Isn't that true? That when he starts stripping you of your own self-reliance, of your own confidence in self and all, and he takes you to a surrendered place, it feels wonky and it feels right and it feels peaceful and it feels free. And I just have this absolute confidence that this isn't just my journey, it's our journey. I wouldn't do it otherwise. We have such a strength of leadership here, you guys. You wouldn't know this, but we lead much more collaboratively, much more as a shared leadership team. 
And so that's going to continue by all the things going this fall. I will still be around, by the way. I haven't said this. I'm going to still be here. I'll be present. I'll be here most Sundays when I'm in town and all, all those things. I will be involved uh, in the leadership side of things. I'll be walking out the vision stuff with the team. Um, I'll be doing all those things. But in terms of organizational workload, in terms of appointments, in terms of obviously teaching, those are the things that I'm releasing for a season to make room for this space that God's inviting me into. We have such a deep bench of communicators. We have such an opportunity. What we really have is the opportunity to be the church. To be the church, you, me, everything Paul's been talking about that we've been studying, we have the opportunity to be the church that he's calling us, that God is calling us to be. So what I want to ask of each and every one of you, whether it's your first Sunday, whether you're a longtime Harlander, is just simply this. Will you give God every opportunity to meet you this fall? Will you give God every opportunity to meet you this fall? Because I know how all of our brains work. You know, some, sometimes we get into, well, who's teaching this Sunday? Oh, that's not my favorite. I'm going to go wash my car. And what I want to ask if you just go, like, just name that. Just go, yeah, that's real. That's normal. But it's spiritually immature. And I trust God deeper than that. And make space for him to move. Maybe your connection is to me as a primary communicator, and you're like, I don't know, it's like, I, I get that. It's a, it's, it's a natural emotion. But will you give God every opportunity to meet you this fall? And only you can determine what that is. But I think it includes the playbook. I think it includes who's in your huddle, jumping into an I am course this fall or whatever. And I think it includes, what is God saying to you? What's the invitation for you right now in this season to sit on the bench with your coach, to take off your watch and have a game of catch? Will you do that? And so, Heavenly Father, I just pray over all of us, I thank you. I thank you so much, God, for who we are as a people. And I trust, I trust so deeply you have so much more, so much of your deep heart that you want to lavish on us. So we receive, God, all that you would have. Would you bring to mind the things that we need to just release in our own lives? The noise, God, that you want to cut through so that your deep heart for that game of catch can meet us exactly as you desire, O oh God. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 This looks rather ominous. Yeah. Can you guys here? Not meant to be. Yeah. So we've been in this suit up series. And when Jesus tells us in his scriptures, uh, it, it was written, you plural, that's how we started and it's carried through. So 
when we suit up and put this armor of God on, when we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, it's not just you, Jay Call, or you, Dan Diebel, or you, Craig. It's, it's you, the community of believers. And we had that imagery uh, about locking shields together because we're not meant to take the journey alone. You know, so when Dan comes off a of vacation time and says, hey, I feel refreshed and full, but the paradox is I feel empty, we locked shields together and said, hey, let, let's just pay attention to that. Because there's very few people on the planet that can appreciate and understand by experience what it's like to have 15 years uh, as a primary communicator in a church this size and recognize what it does to a soul. And so we say, hey, Dan, let's pay attention to that. Let's lock shields around you so that you're not vulnerable, but instead let's make space so you can play catch with your Heavenly Father. It's a great image. And I love, let's take the watch off that so we can get just lost in the beauty of what that is. And so while that's a Dan, a Dan call, that's a, that's a call for me as, as a follower of Jesus, it's a call for you. And so we just wanna come around Dan and lock arms in that. But as we go from this place, I mean, we're gonna go pick up our kids. By the way, immediately go pick up your kids. We'll do that, right? That's good, get your kids. But we've got this arrows fair and it's just an opportunity for us to lock arms in the mission of Jesus in very particular ways. So, so grab your kids and grab your friends and go lock arms and at least take a walk through and see what God would, he might nudge in your heart about food or about Scotland or about the imprisoned and, and just see what happens. So we can lock arms to be Jesus to those that are at risk and vulnerable. I want you to take a moment, look to your right, literally look to your right. Now look to your left. This is our community of faith to lock shields with. You may not even know their names, but we can lock shields together in the name of Jesus and stand strong. And so we're gonna pray for Dan, but it's a representation of the journey all of us are on, locking shields and saying the courageous yes this fall to who Jesus is. May this be your yes in your heart too. Father, we say thank you of how you speak. Thank you for the playbook. Thank you for the direct connect by your spirit. Thank you for sending people into our huddle. Thank you for arranging our circumstances, what you do. Thank you how you've done that for Dan. So we pray in this moment, we mark this moment, this strong, courageous yes to you. We say yes as a community for Dan, but we say yes as a community for ourselves, for our families, for our city, for a generation. Say yes for his family with Elise and the girls. We just say, come Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. From the top of Dan's head to the tip of his toe, for all of us. And so we just trust you for the unknown. And we, we pray, God, that you'd teach us through what's familiar to take us to the unfamiliar. It's what you do. And we just say thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.